0: These are fun, off-the-cuff discussions on movies and streaming series, both new and old.
1: Together, we'll attempt to bridge the gap between Hollywood Industry Insider and the casual viewer.
0: This is Alec. And I'm Ben. And you're listening to the Cinema a to b Podcast.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of uh, Cinema a to b Alec, uh, I know you've been waiting on me for a little bit to get this viewed, and I have, and I'm excited for us to discuss. 2022's The Offer. Uh, the temptation would be to call it season one, but there is only one season. There will only be one season, so let's just call this a the mini series. This is based on Albert S. Ruddy's real life experiences making The Godfather. You recommended that, that I go ahead and watch this, and so I'm going to kick it over to you on what your your impressions of this series are.
0: So I'm going to tell you right now. I- I absolutely love this show. And almost any other year this show comes out, it's my favorite TV show of the entire year. But it just so happened to come out the same year as a Star Wars show called Andor, which is awesome. And we've already talked about it, so I'm not going to delve into how much I love that film or film and that TV show. But the offer, they did a lot of things right. I think You know, it's a story being told. We already know what the conclusions are going to be. We already know what happens and how it gets made. But yet somehow through good dialogue, through good storytelling, through just some good shots and, you know, how they set things up, they made the journey interesting, you know, and even got me not obviously not, you know, wondering whether or not such and such got, you know, casted or they got such and such space. But more of just like it brought me along and gave me those moments of tension when I already knew the outcome, you know, and so that's to me, that's the sign of a really good film or TV show or just a good developed media project of something that can even if I know the outcome, I'm going to still be engaged. And I'm gonna tell you right now, my, I like Miles Teller a lot and I've seen, you know, he's been a lot of good stuff. I loved him in whiplash. You know, he was fun in top gun Maverick, you know, um, and the upcoming top gun goose, you know, that you've, uh, so, <laughs> so named, but I'm going to tell you, this is my favorite role of his hands down. Uh, my favorite role of, of Miles Teller is the, playing Albert S. Ruddy, but the cast of characters, the actors, they got to play them. It's just enjoyable. Now I am going to preface this. I do have a soft spot for enjoying TV shows or movies about the making of TV shows and movies. Obviously, having, you know, been in the industry and been on multiple sets and gone through the process of casting and, you know, working behind the scenes and those kind of things, I can have a better appreciation for some of this. And I'm sure you'd have the same way. So there could be some of that enjoyment is just some like that nostalgia or that feeling of like, Oh, I've, you know, I've been in a similar moment or I've had some of these same experiences, but I want to tell you, I think everyone I've recommended this to who's seen it has enjoyed it. So I'm glad you enjoyed it. I was really hoping that you would uh, like it because I think it's just phenomenal. But I'm going to stop because I can continue to talk about this. And I'll let you weigh in a little bit on your thoughts.
1: Yeah, I I had a smile on my face the entire time I was watching this. Um, Hollywood loves its own history. It's, it's, Mm. It's basically in love with itself. The irony is you don't really get a lot of this. Like you would think as much as Hollywood loves its its own history, and it really does, that you would see more of these, these kinds of behind the scenes, you know, the the challenges. You really don't. This this thing is pretty unique in that regard. You know, it does have something in common with Andor that you mentioned, which is that we know where things end. Mm-hmm. But yet they make it so compelling to see the the ups and downs of trying to get this movie made. And I had no idea. I'm sure some (laughs) things are embellished for the sake of drama. And I just had no, I had no idea how difficult it was for them to get this film done and done well. And we've talked about it on the podcast a ton, how hard filmmaking is like how hard it is to just make a full length feature film And get it done and get it out there, let alone for it to be good. And then in this case, not just good, widely considered one of the greatest films of all time, The Godfather. Yeah, this was exquisitely done. I don't really know where I want to start as far as the kind of the things we usually talk about on a series. Um, The things that jump out at me are performance. So the... But but that would only work if if the writing was really good, and unfortunately here it is excellent. the The writing here is top tier, and the characters are fully fleshed out. And then you have incredible talent delivering. You mentioned Miles Teller, and I I won't. We can kind of come back to him. the The standouts for me are Matthew Good as Robert Evans. Yes. Why he didn't win a Flippin Emmy for this is kind of criminal, or at mm-hmm. least I don't even think he got a nom.
0: Well, especially cause he's British to begin with. Yes. And like, I've seen him in other stuff. Like he's done other films. He's done other TV shows where he was like one of the main leads and he's a completely different person in that, like than comparatively to this, like he embodies this so well that he should have. Yeah, I agree.
1: He he's tremendous. Something. I mean, he nails the accent. I've seen footage of Evans. He sounds like him. It's crazy. It's it's a crazy performance. And the character's got a beautiful arc. As do most of the characters in it. And then the other standout for me is is Burn Gorman. Yeah. As as Blue (laughs) as Blue Dor. And, you know, I was really fortunate. I've not met the man, but I was really fortunate to work on a project um, with Burn in it. Which was when I when I did dailies color for the pilot of Turn,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Washington Spies on AMC, and Byrne was the kind of the main British general, and so you know that guy's always had acting chops, and this this feels like as much screen time I think as he's ever been given since Turn, mm-hmm. yeah. And it, but it's a much more, more explosive character, and everybody's got a mouth on in them in this show. The thing is that's, that's Hollywood.
0: Yeah. And I'm, one thing I want to say is all the characters definitely feel a little bit bigger than life, you know, in, in some ways, I mean, but I, but I can also see like, like this is Hollywood too. kind of like you're saying, like this is the language they'd use, or this is the kind of stuff, but I got to say every actor in this, I feel like had an enjoyable time with their character. Like no one, was upset with their character. Like, obviously, Matthew Good had a great time with Bubby, You know, like just like everything he did was amazing. But, but even like, I mean, Miles Teller had a good, you know, good thing. Gino Tempo had a good kind of arc as well. This is one of the like you go going back to the dialogue just a little bit. One of the things I brought up with Andor with a lot of people when I talk about Andor versus something like The Mandalorian or uh, uh, Ahsoka or Obi Wan stuff like that. I'm like the dialogue mattered and was so much better than before and i wish some of these other projects had better dialogue and they're like well i don't want all my star wars or all my shows to have the same tone as andor and i'm like well no there's a difference like you can have great dialogue and not have that serious tone of andor and i bring i i I bring this up completely like this is you know a a drama tv series you know in in similar veins so there's some more serious stuff but it's not the weight of Andor it doesn't, it's not pushing the themes of Andor, but yet the dialogue is still fantastic. And the dialogue is well thought out, well placed. It's not just throwaway lines or dumb expo- exposition or doing other things. It actually is like, how do we make these be more real characters? How do we make them sound real, sound interesting and keep you engaged? And they, this does it brilliantly. Like, I've 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 watched this now twice through and I'm currently kind of going through it again in preparation for this talk. I've watched a couple more episodes and it's just like it draws me in. Like not only do I know the outcome, I already know the outcome of each episode and each episode little arc and where it's going because I've watched it multiple times and it's still engaging. And it's a lot of that is the dialogue because this is what this show is, is a lot of kind of flashy fun, but a lot of dialogue. It's just people talking and walking.
1: Yeah, it is. And it's a series of, I mean, it it portrays producing and filmmaking perfectly with Miles Teller is he might as well have a fireman's outfit on because that's what he's doing constantly every episode. He's not and he's not just putting out one fire. He's putting out five or six and then trying to juggle some sort of semblance of a personal life. And that was one of the big takeaways that I really appreciated about this, that I don't think the average person understands it's it's exceedingly difficult in, in entertainment, in ho- Hollywood. And I use the term Hollywood as the broadest term of entertainment. I mean, the, the reality is now not that much stuff is made in... I mean, the, there's still movies shot there and stuff, but it's it's certainly not what it once was. But it's very difficult in that industry to balance your personal and professional life. It just something about filmmaking just demands so much from you uh creatively time commitments it, it's it's extremely demanding and so, and so you understand why like divorce rates are high and i i really encourage people to watch this for a look at that aspect and then just how difficult filmmaking is like getting this number of people all in concert together with a singular vision and do it at a high level and get everybody pulling in the same direction to make a good or great film is just really hard. And once you understand that, then you have more empathy for why Hollywood isn't just constantly turning out Godfathers. Like it's just, it's not going to happen.
0: And how easy it is to, put out crap, how easy it is to make some of those not fight as hard for some of those stuff where you're just exhausted and you're just, you're going to give in to the money people or the, you know, politicians or any other kind of wealth of people who have some opinion, how you should make your movie. And a
1: tip of the cap to Colin Hanks for playing an absolute D bag. Yeah. But that, that's how those folks think Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. all the, there were a lot of really funny subtle and not so subtle digs at executives suits yeah. in the studios in fact this show felt like a big dig at the studios on what they're doing now they it, it, i was like oh really they they got away with saying that so <laughs> cuz that's the, this that's where this thing gets really funny is the same challenges that they had making a godfather they're struggling with similar stuff to get this show made. Yeah. And get it made accurately and with their vision and they're fighting executives at Paramount still to get it yeah. get it done. So it's the process is never ending. The battle between creatives and the people that um hold the purse strings. And it's not it's not that the executives are are bad or mean or they just they're only thinking in terms of revenue and dollar signs, and that's that's, that's going to make
0: the most money. Yeah.
1: Yes, yeah. But I love the line near the end of this series where they're like, and it reminded me of like the Steve Jobs line where he's like, "We don't we don't make stuff people need. We we just we make things, and then they realize they have to have it." And it was sort of along that line. It was like, "We don't. We're not going to run test groups with audiences and like." make stuff based on what audiences want. We're going to give them something they've never even dreamed was possible before and and that's what we're going to produce. And that was what The Godfather was. Nobody had nobody had done anything like that.
0: They'd done really crappy mafia films or gangster films, you know, and they kind of talk about that like you know, we're not making this about a gangster film. This is a a family. Like it's about a family. That's like the whole premise of this is not about a gang. It's much, you know, and we kind of talk about, about this with Goodfellas, like, you know, Godfather is much more of a family story where Goodfellas is a gang story. Yeah. Done really well, obviously, you know, but.
1: Yeah. I but mean, like, if you want to know what like had been made prior, you know, go back and watch like the, what is it like a 30s or 40s um, Scarface? Yeah. Not the one, not the one with Pacino, but the, the earlier one was just a kind of a cheesy gangster film. That's, that's what everybody thought of when they thought of mafia movies. So yeah, this, this thing was really just a game changer of a movie. I, in fact, I just read an article that popped up and my phone must be listening to me or something, (laughs) but it was about how Spielberg almost wanted to quit filmmaking after the Godfather came out in 72 (laughs) because he couldn't beat it. Well, yeah, he was just like, I can never tell a story this well. Why am I even, what am I doing? Because he had made yeah. Duel. And then I think a year, two years later, he made like Sugarland Express. So, but he was, he was, and he was friends with Coppola. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it's yeah, they were him, all part of the Yeah, him, Coppola, Lucas. Lucas. um. Mm-hmm. There's several others that I'm that I'm not able to name off the top of my head, but Zoetrope
0: yeah. Studios or something mm-hmm. like that is like what they all kind of made together.
1: Yeah. Oh, Scorsese was in that group. Yeah. And they all they all helped each other out. It was a really wonderful time. But yeah, he was like so discouraged that Coppola had come out the gate with this. Now, luckily, he stuck to his guns, and then he does Jaws and the rest is history. Yeah. But uh Coppola was the first one of that group to like really strike it hot. Mm-hmm. I mean, like. And that wasn't his first film, but that was his, that was his first bigger studio picture. I think he'd done a couple others prior to that, but.
0: Well, and he had done, he had had some kind of not notoriety, but he had, oh, he had a big failure.
1: Well, and he'd written Patton.
0: Yeah. So.
1: He was a screenwriter on Patton. So that told you where that guy's talents were. So Yeah.
0: So. Fun little fact. Since we're, we've talked, we've mentioned his name real quick. So two things, uh, George Lucas. So one of the reasons why um, Francis did The Godfather or kind of signed on was because they had just done THX eleven thirty eight, which bombed big time. And so like they were in debt and had to go bankrupt. And so George Lucas was like pushing them, like, like, hey, Francis. Go do this. Go make some money. We we need some money to pay our debts. Like that was that was the Robert
1: Duvall connection too.
0: Yeah, exactly. From THX. Um, but then with Al Pacino, uh, George's wife at the time, Marsha Lucas, saw Al Pacino and recommended it to Francis and said, "You need to go see this guy. He should be perfect." Yeah, and I
1: love his portrayal in this. Yeah, of just unsure of himself and Mm -hmm. not the Pacino we we know,
0: bombastic, big, like yeah. This was a guy who's on off Broadway, you know, at best and is not. I don't, I don't know if this was his first uh, film role, but definitely one as a lead character. And I like they t- he talks about that. Like, I don't see myself as this. I don't see myself as a lead, you know, and it's just really interesting, you know, to get b- back behind some of this and kind of pull the curtain.
1: Yeah. And and I should mention that, you know, I, I gave Matthew and Byrne a lot of credit, but Fogler's tremendous as Coppola. The neurotic, by the way, if I were ever a film director, that's exactly what I would look like. Like just constantly (laughs) freaking out. Like I have to have this. If I don't have this shade of yellow, then I can't have my painting won't be. (laughs) That totally resonated with, me because I'd heard about that before that Coppola is just totally neurotic. I mean, heck apocalypse now about killed him. Mm Hmm. You know, he has a heart attack, Sheen has a heart attack. They should do they should do another one of these about the making of apocalypse yeah. now and just have Fogler play Coppola in it again and have it be this like spin-off. I that would be I would watch it. I, yeah, I think it'd be great.
0: So because so. what it was it,
1: Coppola famously said, My my movie this movie's not about Vietnam, it is <laughs> Vietnam.
0: And <laughs> I think half uh, of that
1: was to do with the dreadful filming experience.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they had a terrible time just getting everything with the problems. Uh, The other person is um, Giovanna Rubisi as uh, uh, Joe Colombo. Yeah. Yeah. I I really like him just in general. I think he's fantastic. I mean, he's always kind of been nipping at the edges of things. Like, obviously, you know, he's an avatar. He was in Friends. He was in a bunch of different stuff, but he's never – I think this is a lot, a lot more screen time than he's gotten. And, and, and like he was, he's in a show on Amazon prime. that I forget the name of right off the top of my um, head where he plays like a con artist. Um, And I really liked it. Oh, is it kind like of sneaky went,
1: Pete or something like that? Sneaky
0: Pete. Yeah. yeah and he's fam- he's fantastic. That, at,
1: and I'm sure it's, it's good. good. It's good. Yeah. He never, um, he Hollywood never really tried to make him the leading man. Like he never really got that opportunity. He's always, but he's always been this hyper consistent Character actor. And yeah, you're right. He is able to flex a lot more with this role. And I, I thought he was excellent.
0: And I I love the dynamic of their kind of relationship throughout it too, of how they play it off. It's just, it's just one of those things where like, I didn't, you know, realize kind of the involvement as much in it. You know, I'm sure there I I knew there were some, but you know, how this plays out now, a little asterisk, keep in mind. This is based off of Albert S. Ruddy's biography, and he was also a producer on this show. So, you know, you know, you know, there's some things that are going to put him in a much better absolutely, light. You know? <laughs> absolutely.
1: The, you get you're the storyteller. You get to tell this, yeah. this story any way you want. And if it's not exactly 100 percent accurate, then yeah, absolutely. Oh, and I love. I love the, I recognized him right away. I was, oh, it's, that's Ferrigno. That's great. Oh, that's Ferrigno. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is good. This is good.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, it's like, it's such a stacked cast. It's such a great, enjoyable film uh, to watch too. And we have a oh, band of brothers. Uh, Frank, the guy plays Frank Sinatra. It's in band, band, of brothers. Yeah. Absolutely. Um well, obviously Colin Hanks obviously is at in Bandit Brothers as well. So you got a couple of those. Frank John Hughes.
1: Okay. And he was in uh, catch me if you can as well with yes. Tom mm-hmm. Hanks. He's yeah. been in some other stuff. Yeah. Um, I I just looked it up. So this is not my memory, but the guy that plays Caesar is this actor mm-hmm. named Jake Cannavale. Mm-hmm. It's it's Bob it's his dad is Bobby that played in Boardwalk Empire. Really? Yeah, that's his father. Oh. <gasps> Did not know that. And he Jake Jake was great. Yeah, he I was. really liked the Caesar character a lot. I was like, I would watch a show just about <laughs> like whatever Caesar was up to because he, he didn't get like an update in the the end credit text no in the post log of like Caesar went on to, you know,
0: (laughs) (laughs) have his own family Yeah, where he was shot 17 times. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I mean, a little probably not nostalgic is not the right word, obviously, but, but a little bit just to kind of enjoy this for those aspects of how, like how difficult it is to make a movie. All the processes behind it, kind of like peeling that curtain just a little bit to kind of see how the sausage is made. And I just, I love this stuff. I I really do.
1: Yeah, I do too. Uh, and I just, I had no idea the level of involvement from the New York mob in mm-hmm. both yeah. restricting and then ultimately green lighting the film. It, but I, I've, and yeah, we're obviously playing spoiler on this. Um, it's hard to, I think it's, it's difficult to talk about a, a, a limited series and, and do play it spoiler free. There's just so much content. Um, but I love when they get to Sicily and, and, uh, Ruddy <laughs> Teller's just like, no, we're not doing no. this again. <laughs> we're not doing this again at all. He's like, we're when, gone. We're and Francis yeah. is just like, wait, what? That's, that place is perfect. And then they get to the other location. And he's like, Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> I love that they didn't stay parked on them shooting scenes from the Godfather. Like they pepper it in, but that wasn't what it was about. It's like, we know what these scenes look like, but it was yeah. cool to see little glimpses of them. Um, and just enough, but they didn't stay parked on that. Cause those, those aren't the characters I do. I do love though. How should I phrase this? The whole thing is so meta <laughs> with it's like a retelling of The Godfather. Like it's not yes. just about making of The Godfather. They do basically do a retelling of it <laughs> in at times.
0: Life. Yeah,
1: you know, with him kissing his hand and like it just it was it was tremendous. And the and yeah. they and they they bring that music in that was real similar <laughs> to the score. Yeah. And I just I had a huge grin on my face. Uh, it didn't take me long to plow through this. Like, I think I, I think I took a week or two to, or probably two weeks to, to take my time with it, but.
0: So just touching base on the score. So obviously it uses a lot of kind of God, Godfather inspired themes, but just the actual music and soundtrack of it, you know, a lot of those that, you know, late sixties, early seventies kind of stuff is, is really great. But I want to tell you, there's not many shows that I watch the opening credits but I love the theme music of this so much that I did like every time. Now I will also say, so we caught this, we ended up catching it, um, it like three or four episodes had already been, been, uh, put up and posted. Um, and so we caught it then, but then we had to wait like every week for they like paramount released it like once a week. And so it was, Oh, it was dragging Cause they I do such
1: skip- a, yeah. It's a nice opening credit sequence. Yeah, it really is. And I don't think we've ever talked about opening credit sequences on the pod. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are an art form of unto themselves. And those are, there are shops Mm -hmm. in LA. That's all all they do. Cause we, uh, when I worked on Norbit, they, they outsourced the opening credit sequence uh, to a, I forget what the creative shop was, but that's pretty much all they did. And I've worked with guys in, at ad agencies and stuff too, that all they do are upfronts and then credit crawls for AMC and FX and all those networks. So yeah, they, this, you're right. It's tremendous. I didn't skip through it either. And frankly, it's not that long. No. And that's one of the benefits Um, I'll, I'll like blow through the, like Game of Thrones intros and stuff. Cause it, I love them, but they're so long. Yeah. Like
0: it's, it's like another like whole long story. Of yeah. What it is. So I didn't, I didn't blow through those. Now, one of the things I did want to point out too, is the show does such a great job of like almost every episode ends on some type of like event happening or some cliffhanger thing where I'm just like, really, that's where we're going to end it. Like, like, and I now have to wait a whole week, stinking week to find out what happens. Oh, like it, it does such a great job of keeping your interest and keeping you wanting to watch more. And I know like if you are now streaming, this this is definitely going to be a easily bingeable show. In my opinion, it's one of those where you just want to keep watching. It's going to turn into a 10 hour movie that you just sit down one Saturday like, Oh, I'm going to put it on episode. And then it's like four episodes in. you're like, Oh my goodness, I have to do things.
1: Yeah. It is a, it is a very good looking show. I was really by and large, pretty impressed and pretty pleased with the cinematography and lighting. Although I did know, and there's two cinematographers on this. There's this uh, Salvatore Totino and then Ely Smolkin. And it looks like Salvatore did six and then Eli did four episodes. They do, they did something though that I haven't seen done in a while that feels kind of old school where there were some, there was a perfect example in like one of the last either episode nine or 10 there was, I think miles was having a conversation with Bourne, um or burn inside the um, burns office there hmm. at Gulf and Western. And it was, it was a side profile, kind of a wider shot um, facing out towards the windows. And it was really pretty blue. Hmm. But when they cut to the, the over the shoulders, the blue wasn't there Hmm. at all. Like no indication of it at all. Yeah. And a lot of stuff you'll see them match all that stuff up in the color grade. Like they'll, they'll align everything. So it's just flawless intercutting, but sometimes you kind of lose something artistically by doing that. And in this, they did it a couple of times where I noticed like, and it wasn't distracting and the average person would not notice this at all. But I was like, oh, they made a creative artistic choice there in the wide shot to have it lit a little bit differently with a different kind of dominant color. And then when they went into the closeups, it was different. That's kind of old school. Mm-hmm. That's like an old school way to light where you really just make things look beautiful and don't worry as much about the continuity of. And I'm not talking about huge lighting mistakes. That's not what's happening. But I just kind of picked up on it, it was like, because, you know, they this was shot digitally. I don't know what it was shot on, but it was you know digital cameras. This wasn't film, and, yeah, and so they... heavily digitally color corrected. And there was definitely a conscious decision there to kind of let shots sit the way that the cinematographers originally lit them, and not try to get everything perfectly balanced. When I like, I like that. It shows some artistic in- integrity, kind of sticking with what they wanted. But yeah, it's a yeah. it's a really nicely, it's a nice looking show. They don't try to go crazy with it being like, they didn't make it look, like grainy. It's a real clean image. Obviously all the, the outfits are period accurate and the cars and stuff, everything feels, but it does, it feels like a modern take on jumping back into 70,
0: 71, 72. So, it's a real pinpoint. I kind of, the, again, going back to that meta thing is they complain about how, how expensive and how difficult it is to shoot a period piece for the Godfather I'm like, why don't you just make it modern times? And of course now we're making this and, and then also all the period pieces yes. and the period cars and all <laughs> that, yeah. you know, all this stuff. So again, it's like they're making themselves. Oh, I did want to mention,
1: I think that, and, and this is me speculating. I felt like when I was watching this, especially that first episode, I thought to myself, you know, I wonder if once upon a time in Hollywood, did some assist work on convincing them to green light something like this. Hmm. Cause I mean, and obviously once upon a time in Hollywood is revisionist history, but you're talking about a similar era of Hollywood within a few years of each other. And I just wondered if, if the relative success of once upon a time in Hollywood kind of made this easier to make of like, Hey, people are interested in this, classic kind of it's not really the it's it's kind of on the end of the golden age of Hollywood, I guess. Cause the studios are like struggle quickly after this in the, in the late, especially the mid to late seventies. But I just, it had a similar kind of look and feel to Tarantino's picture. Mm-hmm. It's everything's real vibrant. Um, as far as the color palette, like it's, it's a pleasure to watch. Yeah, Paramount you- should be, should be happy. This is a this wonderful movie. companion piece to, yeah, uh, if you love the Godfather and you haven't seen this, I, I'm like shocked that yeah. somebody wouldn't have sucked, you know, wouldn't seek this out.
0: Well, I mean, it's on Paramount plus, so, you know, I mean, you can still, you can actually buy it on Blu-ray as well. I, I know. Cause I did, but, <laughs> um, but it's on Paramount plus. I know that is one, not one of the bigger streaming services that most people have. So, it's worth it. Like get this, get the seven day free trial. There's also a couple other things like it did. Halo trash. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was okay. It was not, you know, we'll, we'll talk about a different thing. Anyways. Nah. Uh, no, we probably won't talk about it, but you know, hey, you know, we'll talk. anyways, going changing topics or changing things. Paramount plus go see it, it, it. The show. It's great. But I also love that Paramount took the time to kind of, Reinterest people in their backlog of movies and say, "Hey, if you haven't seen Rosemary's Baby, if you haven't seen Love Story, if you haven't seen Chinatown, like these are all great films that you should go see." It's like, yeah. they, you know, that, like I understand why. I mean, like again, that's what the studio is talking about. This is the you know the golden age of Paramount, but but pretty close of a, where a lot of their huge hits and a lot of their greatest movies came out i mean they won oscars and you know they did really good stuff and so push that like but it did not felt heavy-handed it felt a part of it but it was also like i could be like hmm okay i see what you're doing here (laughs) this is the third time we've talked about chinatown okay yeah
1: yeah yeah this is the 50th mention of love story
0: yeah maybe i should go see it again all right cool thanks thanks we'll be again, Matthew Good, if you're listening to this man, phenomenal job. You stole every scene you're in. I haven't had this much fun watching a television show well, I mean, in a, for a couple of years, but yeah. Like there's been a couple there's some been really good TV that's come out lately, but this one easily gets in my top 5 of television shows for the past 5-10 years. Hands down, one of those like I mean, so much so that I bought this show because I wanted it and I didn't want to have to worry about Paramount Plus taking it down, you know, or something like that. So I can watch it whenever I want to.
1: Yeah. And we could we could have a whole conversation on that on that. You don't just because it's on a streaming service right now doesn't mean it's going to be there tomorrow, even if it's part of their library. It's. Yeah, we're be, we're, we're definitely best big proponents of uh, physical media on the podcast, even though my I freely admit I've fallen into the same trap of like, not buying as much stuff as I used to. And I'm kind of course correcting here and there on some of that. But yeah, if you haven't seen the offer and you're still interested, even after we've kind of spoiled some things, which we not that much, because the the ebbs and flows of what happens, there's some big moments we didn't even discuss. So I would encourage anybody to watch this. In fact, I, I'm pretty confident I'm going to have Gwen watch this because I want to watch it. I want to go through it again. And I think she'd really enjoy it because she likes, um, nonfiction. Mm -hmm. And I think she's seen the Godfather maybe once. Um, so maybe, maybe I've got to do a viewing of the Godfather with her. (laughs) And then (laughs) this was, you know, which is like what? 13 hours of, of, uh, yeah, (laughs) yeah, probably not going to happen, but well, I think that wraps it up
0: it does on
1: the it, offer it does. definitely watch it all right man we're gonna all sign right. sign off on this and we will uh, we'll be back next week with a new episode
0: thanks everybody